opened, <coughs> opened to Romans chapter 8 this morning. We're going to be looking at the uh, kind of middle section of that uh, portion of God's Word. Have you ever uh, known somebody that only hoped they were going to heaven, but not really sure? You know, that person is living under anxiety, under a sense of the probability of condemnation. I was talking to a, about a 70-year-old woman, and um, in that conversation, she said, well, I hope to go to heaven one day. And when she said that, I said, hmm, uh, do you ever have anxiety that you might die and, and, and not go to heaven? She said, well, I hope I do. And I said, well, I said, you know, you can know for sure that there are spiritual evidences the Holy Spirit puts in our lives and we can have absolute assurance that when we die, we're going to heaven based on those evidences put in us by the Holy Spirit. She looked at me and she said, I don't, I don't know that I really even know much at all about the Holy Spirit. I said, well, that's one-third of the Godhead. I would think that's extremely significant. Would you be interested in knowing more about the Holy Spirit? Uh, could we just discuss it? And the evidence is the Holy Spirit gives of us of assurance of life eternal. She said, sure. I said, okay, well, let's sit down and discuss. So we, we sat down and we discussed the Holy Spirit's work. And I took her to uh, that passage. She'd been in church for 50 years, almost perfect attendance, so we didn't even have to look it up. I said, you know the passage in John 3 about Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night? She said, yeah. I said, well, you remember his words. He said that Nicodemus, who had also been in church all his life, was a religious teacher, that he would not see and he could not enter heaven unless he was born of the Spirit. I said, it appears to me you have not had that birth in the Spirit. The Spirit has not come into you or filled you. So consequently, you cannot see and you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's why you only hope that maybe somehow, some way, you'll get there. She said, tell me more about the Spirit of God. And so I continued to tell her of her need to just pray and ask God to fill her with His Spirit and to give her the gifts that the Holy Spirit brings. She's not with us today, but she is one who has passed on into glory with great assurance because that day she prayed, the Holy Spirit came into her life and wonderfully assured her that she would be with God forever. Great is our Lord. He adopts us, chooses us, brings us into his family, fills us with his spirit, and then he begins to lead us, and he loves us, and he assures us, and he creates a groaning within us that's unique to the family of God. And I want you to see that as God reveals that to us in Romans chapter 8. 
uh, verses 12 through 25. Such a long passage. I'll just read sections as we go through it instead of reading the whole thing at one time. But let us think about, first of all, the Holy Spirit's leading. Is the Holy Spirit leading you? Verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led, see there's the leading, led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. It's emphatic. If you have the Spirit's leading, you're a child of God. Is the Spirit leading you? Um, it's an obligation for us to be led. What does it mean to be led? I'll give you another passage. Look at John 16, verse 3. I'll come back here again in a minute. Um, it's 13. John 16, verse 13. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. So when you get the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will guide you. Think about being led by the Spirit as being guided by the Spirit. Is the Holy Spirit guiding you? Is he instructing you? Is he, is he taking you somewhere? I remember um, the Spirit of my dad guided me. It instructed me. My dad had a rule that you don't go out and play until your work's done. So anytime somebody would call me after school and say, hey, you want to go play basketball? You want to go ride horses? You want to go do something? I mean, I didn't have to check with my dad. The spirit of my dad said to me, done your homework? Because if you don't do your homework, you don't go and play basketball. You don't go ride horses. You do your homework first. That was guiding me. It was directing me into what I must do. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. The Holy Spirit fills us with the truth of God's Word, and it guides us and directs us according to God's truth. The Spirit leads us. Verse 14, all who are being led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Um, the Spirit leads us. People come to me sometimes saying, well, you know, the Spirit led me here today, or the Spirit directed me here today, and sometimes I throw back the question, how do you know? How did the Spirit do that? How do you know it wasn't the Spirit of Satan that led you here? See, we have to evaluate those thoughts in our heads. I mean, they can get there a lot of different ways. So how do we know it is the Spirit of God that is leading us. Well, he tells us in verse 13, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Holy Spirit is guiding and directing us towards those things which, is a, which are a death to the deeds of the flesh or a deeds of the body. The proof that the Spirit is leading us is that we're putting to death the deeds of the body. Um, several ways we can get at that. Back in John 16, verse 8. This is perhaps the easiest uh, way to get at that. John 16, verse 8 says this is the Spirit's work. By the way, if you want to study more on the Holy Spirit, John 14, 15, 16 is a great place to go. 
um, smudged there by Christ on the Holy Spirit. John 16, verse 8 says, And he, speaking of the Spirit, when he comes, will convict in three things. Convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So this is the Holy Spirit's kind of big job description. The Holy Spirit comes to the world to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit, if he's leaving you, he's always making a distinction for you. This is right. This is wrong. This is sin. This is righteousness. If you have a leading where that distinction's not being made, it may not be from the Holy Spirit at all. The Holy Spirit is to teach us the way of truth. That only leads one direction. So he's going to show this is the sinful path and this is the righteous path. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now, in Romans 8, makes mention of this phrase, deeds of the body. So let's, let's fill that out a little bit more as well. Look at Galatians chapter 5. Verses 19 through 25. Uh, as you're turning there, Galatians 5. You know, I think about the, uh, the work of uh, the Holy Spirit even in Joseph's life. When uh, he, was, he had this beautiful woman, the lady of the house named, we just know her as Potiphar's wife. But she was every day telling Joseph, man, you're a dude, you're a stud, come to bed with me. How did he say no day after day after day? It was the Spirit of God within him to convict him. That's wrong. This is right. That's wrong. This is right. And he was able to say to her, that's wrong. This is right. Because of that conviction of the Spirit, he was led to a righteous behavior. When you're posting just, or you're just looking at Instagram or Facebook, why do we do that? We have this hunger, this curiosity to just go one more page, one more page. When do we say enough's enough? This is wrong. This is right. There's times when the Spirit leads us to say no. That's not stewardship. I need to stop this and do this. Or when that hunger for pornography comes on the screen, no, right, yet wrong, right. Is the Spirit leading us just as it was leading Joseph? When you see that spiritual work, it's a sign you are a child of God. You're making distinctions that the Holy Spirit gives you between sin and righteousness and ultimately coming judgment. Well, look at Galatians 5. Here we have this description or uh, comparison between the deeds of the body that we saw in Romans 8, deeds of the flesh, and the deeds of the Spirit. So now you get... Very clearly, a distinction between the two. Let me begin reading down at verse 16, Galatians 5. For I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please, but if you are led by the Spirit. So here we go. The description of being led by the Spirit. Our tendency is we're born to fulfill our body's desires and hungers and thirsts. He says to get out of that, that way of judgment and condemnation, you have to be led by the Spirit. Verse 18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are. And I love that word evident. Don't, don't just skip over that. In other words, this is not rocket science. We know this, 
This is evident. It means this is obvious. These things are not pleasing to God. These are not stuff the Spirit would lead you into. And he gives a list. Which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like this. In other words, this is not a complete list. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see the judgment part? This is what the Spirit does. He convicts us of sin, righteousness, judgment. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. So this is where the Spirit leads. Spirit leads us into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, is the Spirit leading you? When that internet comes up, is the Spirit leading you to sensuality, immorality, impurity? No. Spirit doesn't lead us there. You're leading yourself there. Satan's leading you there. Something else leading you there. The Spirit would be leading you to love, to faithfulness, to joy, peace, um, these other things. So you begin to see the contrast. And we need to constantly be evaluating. Is the Spirit of God leading us? Now, why? Back in Galatians, excuse me, uh, back in Romans chapter 8, he says, we have an obligation. That's strong language. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh. Strong language. You're under obligation, not to these deeds of the flesh. You're under obligation to follow the Spirit. Now, think about that. An obligation is strong. This is something we must do. We must be led by the Spirit. Now, he's not saying you must be led by the Spirit or else you go to hell. That's not what he's saying. You must, you have this obligation to be led by the Spirit. Why? Because I've put the Spirit within you. Because I have put to death the deeds of the body in you. I have crushed your sin by crushing Christ. We've already seen that in Romans 8, the first part of Romans 8. Because I've, 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 I've destroyed sin and given you the Spirit, you're under obligation to live as one who is filled with the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Let me put it to you this way. Um, we all grow up at some point and we touch something hot like a stove. And after we touch that stove, we may have been warned a hundred times, don't touch the stove, it's hot. You know, but we're foolish and we're stupid and we have these urges to do things that are stupid and foolish. And so at some point, we touch the stove and we're burned. Now, we're different. Now we have new knowledge. Now we have the knowledge of pain. We have the reality of the burn. And we have an obligation not to touch the stove again. Do we not? I mean, it's, it's, it's now part of our DNA. It's now part of our understanding. That would be wrong to touch the stove. 
It's not like somebody's going to crush us if we do, but we, we're obligated not to continue to destroy ourselves. And we understand that. It's just become part of our nature. Well, think about that. The Holy Spirit comes into us and He fills us with the grace and knowledge of Christ. That Christ hung on the cross for us. Christ died because sin matters to God. Christ died to put to death sin in us. And He fills us with His Spirit. So it's not because He's going to crush me. He's already crushed Christ. But now that I know that He's crushed Christ for me... As a substitute for me, I have an obligation now to live in light of that. I have new grace. I have new knowledge. I have a new nature. I am filled with the Spirit of God that leads me to righteousness. That's what he's saying. When you see that happen to you, you're led by the Spirit. And not by Satan. Not by the flesh. You're led by the Spirit of God. That new reality of the Spirit being in us and filling us. It's something unique to the people of God. It's, I don't know, I love that, that phrase in Galatians 5. These things are obvious. Man, I, I can't tell you how many people who are blind and they just don't see the obvious. I've talked to elders and deacons and pastors, I mean leaders in the church that are coming to me with, with arguments and dissensions and factions with outbursts of anger. And I'm saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We could, let's take this back a little bit. That's not following the Spirit. And they, what do you mean? I said, it's obvious. Galatians 5, what are the deeds of the flesh? You bring to me outbursts of anger. You bring to me dissension. You bring to me faction. You bring to me envy. You bring to me evil desires that's not being led by the spirit that's being led by the flesh and that will go the way of the world that will not inherit eternal life this is obvious you see if we're led by the spirit we're led first to love the fruit of the spirit is love if first it's a love to God we should be coming together to love God it leads to joy. Joy in the Spirit is so wonderful to come and say, God, we're so grateful for eternal redemption. I love the opportunity to say in my heart, to say out loud, Lord, thank you for life. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you for redemption. Great are you, Lord. It's a time of joy. It's a time of love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the Spirit leading us. Leads us to peace, leads us to patience, leads us to kindness and toleration with one another. But you and I know many people who are led a different way. They have no hope of escaping condemnation unless they are led by the Spirit. Is the Spirit leading you? That's the first question that Romans 8 kind of just naturally throws out there. To us, As children of God, we are led by the Spirit and therefore have confidence that we are with Christ now and always. Second, is the Holy Spirit loving you? Do you see that? Verse 15 of Romans 8. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons 
by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Oh, what a love. A love unto adoption as sons. A love unto adoption as sons. Is the Spirit loving you? To the place where you see you have been adopted as a child of God? By the way, we're in this uh, politically hot world that says, if you say sons, say daughters. If you say men, say women, all that. I love Tim, Tim Keller's statement on this. He said, uh, the, the women of God should be no more offended at this phrase, that you become sons of God, any more offended than men should be offended that Jesus says you are the bride of Christ. God goes both ways. It's a metaphor, okay? Get over it. God loves you to the point of being his adopted son. And think about how significant that is to be brought into the family of God, made an heir of Christ. What love that Father, God the Father would step down and make his, his sons. Has he loved you to that place that he's removed all worry so that you cry out, Abba, Father. Now, maybe some explanation. The word Abba is in the Aramaic. Usually, the New Testament's in Greek. And so, we have an Aramaic word and a Greek word. Perhaps Paul and Jesus, who would have used the Aramaic as their common language, um, speaking here maybe mostly to a Gentile audience, saying, let's throw in the translation so that they really get it. Abba means Father. What does Father mean? Father. You know, so it's, it's like saying here, Father, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Again, it's not complicated language. But I think it's important to see this is not just spoken words. It's a cry. It's, it's an anguish of the heart. He says, I've received you. I've adopted you so that you can cry out, Abba, Father. Is he leading you to go to God the Father and say, Father, Father, Daddy, Daddy. It's an expression of urgent need for care and communication. God, I need help. I need to talk. Daddy, Daddy. We understand when those kind of phrases come. It's not, hey, Dad, I'm going outside to play. It's not that kind of prayer. It's not, God, I really enjoy the snow this week. Just like I like it. Get to see it, but don't slide in it, you know, kind of thing. It's not that. It's, Father, Father, this is urgent. It's the same, this phrase is only used three times in the Bible. It's here, it's in Galatians. By the way, Galatians class upstairs this morning, they can explain it to you in Galatians. It'll be good. It's used here, and it's used in Mark chapter 14. This is the phrase Jesus used when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember when he was angu so anguished, it looked like he was sweating drops of blood? And it was at that moment he says, Abba, Father. You can do all things. Remove this cup from me. Yet not my will. But thy will be done. It was an urgent expression. 
I need the most intimate connection now. I need that Abba Father moment where you come to me, we talk, and you provide your care. You know, have you ever um, done a little babysitting and as the toddlers running around in the kitchen, you're trying to feed them, one of them slips and they fall and they hit the chair or the counter and they bust their lip and you could just see it's about to unleash on you the, the emotion. And they turn around and what do they cry? Babysitter, babysitter. No. Never heard that. Never heard that. It's mommy, daddy. Because it's urgent. It's desperate. It's, it's a need for talking to the one who loves them enough to embrace them in that relationship of a father to a son, a mom to a daughter. That expression is given to us by the Spirit of God. We are led at times in our most desperate moments to cry out, God, if ever there was a time I need you, it's now. And I know you're there for me because I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You have adopted me. You have brought me in to the family of God. That's what the Spirit of God does for us. It leads us into righteousness, away from the deeds of the flesh. He loves us into this relationship of being the very child that Christ came to pluck from this earth and take to be with him forever. You know, I had people sometimes say to me, uh, David, I love your prayers. Can you pray for me? I said, why don't you pray? And they say, well, you know, I, I, I just can't pray. I said, what do you mean you can't pray? I, I just don't know how to pray. I said, well, I have never met a child that could not say mommy, that could not say daddy. I said, are you led by the Spirit of God? Because the Spirit of God is in you. Somehow, you can cry out, Daddy, Daddy, I need you now. Doesn't have to be pretty. Doesn't have to be the way I do it. But it's an expression that I understand God has adopted me as his own. The Spirit of God leads us there. Or you, you run into somebody who says, well, I guess you need to talk to the man upstairs. No, 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 no. He's not a man upstairs. He is father, father. Daddy, daddy. He loves me. He cares for me. He's embraced me into his family. I am his forever. The Holy Spirit takes us to that level. Takes us away from that false rel religious idea that all people are going to be with God. Not the case. Only those who are his adopted children. The Spirit leads us into adoption. Loves us there. Leads us out of sin into righteousness. Third thing I want you to see. The Spirit gives us an overwhelming assurance. Look at verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies. See, there's, it's a testimony. The Spirit gives a testimony with our spirit. That we are children of God. How does he do that? This is not complicated, again. But sometimes we make it mystical. It's not mystical in this passage. 
It's very plain. How does the Spirit give you testimony that you are indeed a child of God? David, how do you know you're a child of God? Well, the Spirit told me. How did the Spirit tell me, tell you, you are a child of God? Well, he just, he just showed us in verses 12 through 15. When the Spirit of God comes into us, the Spirit of God is leading us away from the deeds of the flesh and to righteousness. That's something I didn't do before. In other words, the Spirit of God is leading us to say no to sin. And then second thing he just told us, the Spirit of God leads us to do, is to cry out to God in prayer. Which is, God, I know this is a troublesome situation. I want to yield to you. You tell me how you want me to deal with this situation. It's going to be yes to you, no to everything else. So the Spirit is leading us two ways constantly. He's leading us to say no to sin and yes to Jesus. And then the very next verse, he says, By this testimony, you can have confidence you are a child of God. How does the Spirit convince me I am a child of God? Because I'm doing something the non-Christian does not do. I'm saying no to sin and yes to Jesus. And the reason I'm doing it is because the Spirit is in me. That's his testimony. My testimony to you, my testimony to your spirit that you are a Christian as opposed to a non-Christian is you are saying no to sin. You even know what sin is. And you are saying yes to Jesus. You're crying out in intimate terms to God for help and for direction and for your hope. Is the Spirit of God giving you that assurance that you are genuinely His by daily leading you to say no to sin and yes to Jesus? It's an easy, simple conviction and life and that's what the holy spirit does for us now one more thing he leads us he loves us he gives us this testimony this assurance and then he creates this groaning within us verses 17 through 25 groaning within us and if children so it's all been leading up are you being led are you being loved are you being assured so then you're a child of God, right? He says, okay, and so, one more thing. If you are, indeed, children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, the inheritance, the reason he brings up heirs, that's something we don't have yet, right? You don't have the inheritance yet. You don't have the inheritance till you die. He says, but because you've got the other three things, you've got the Spirit's leading, you've got the Spirit's loving, you've got the Spirit's testimony to your assurance, you're heirs also. And because you're an heir, that's, you're going to see in this text, that creates a groaning. I want the inheritance. I groan for the inheritance. Look at it. If children are heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may also be glorified with Him. So here is the suffering. There in heaven is the glory. Keep going, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Now he's bringing in another element. Not only are we the sons of God... 
going to be revealed as the sons of God in heaven. And it's going to be a glorious thing. He, he says there's other parts of creation that are anticipating this too. And they long for it as well. And it's going to be good for them, for us. Um, goes on, verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned. Creation. There was no thorns. There was no weeds. Creation got subjected to a life under the curse. And since Adam and Eve sinned, we've experienced the, the, the thorns, the thistles, the, the weeds, the hard ground, all of that. And it says, even that created substance is looking forward to this fullness of redemption that comes when God's sons are revealed in glory. Verse 21 the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So when we get free, they get free. They understand that, the creation, and they're excited about that. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans. So that's created substances, matter, as well as us. Groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we've been saved, but hope that it seems not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But, we, but if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. All right, one more thing to pick up there. It's, it's a groaning we have. It's a groaning for fullness that we have. It's a, a birth groaning, not a death groaning. You see the difference? It says, uh, he uses the language of, of childbirth, that we have been born again as children of God. But it's not plain yet what all that means. We've been given an inheritance, but we've not yet seen all of that inheritance. We've been given the Spirit, but we've not completely experienced the fullness of the Spirit. There's just so much more. We've been given a, an earth that's under a curse, but we've been promised a new heaven and a new earth that's not under any curse, where there's no weeds, where there's no thorns, where there's nothing but what's glorious. And and, and we long for that because it's so much more than what we've had. Let me illustrate it this way. Uh, in this room, I was thinking about this this morning, praying for some of you. Uh, as pastor, I often get people coming to me and say, David, can you pray for me? And, and one of the, the prayers that is always uh, on my heart is the prayer for you to have children. One out of eight couples struggle to have children and often are not able to have children. One out of eight. And for those of you who can, I'm not sure, we, we understand the groaning these couples go through. It's not a groaning for death, you see. It's a groaning for life. God, give me children. God, I'm ready now for children. Bless me, Lord. I know you design 
heaven and earth, to have children in it. You have commanded me to be fruitful and to replenish the earth, to multiply. And I want children. I want to raise a godly seed. I want to raise the next generation of the church for you. It's a groaning for a fuller, expanded life that's been designed and told, taught to us in the scriptures. And so when I get that request, please pray that we have children. I understand. This is, this is life under the curse, and we want out. We, we want that fuller family and life that God has promised, and we see Him giving it to some. And it's a painful time. But there's a sense, in which is what Romans 8 is trying to teach us, that we all have that groaning. That's given to us by the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God has promised us so much in Christ. And we, we see it, but we don't see it. We know it's there. We've just got to step through this door called death. And it's for us. <coughs> you know, I think there was a big push about 15 years ago, I guess, or so. People saying everybody in the church needs to make sure you fill out your living will, you know, and all of these things so that the, the medical personnel don't just ex- try to extend your life and pump you up with, with stuff. And, and as I've thought about that, I said, you know, if we really had the Spirit of God leading us, we would all be groaning so much for the life that is to come. The world down here, our family down here, would not need any written document. They would say, there is no doubt about my dad, my mom, my brother, my sister. Uh, do, do they want to stay here? They do not. They want to go forward. Don't hold them back. They've been groaning for this. This is their ticket. This is what they want so much. They want the fullness of life in Christ. I don't know about you, but I, I groan for a prodigal son experience. Maybe because I feel so much. I have done so many senseless things. And it coming to your senses like the prodigal son, I just want to go home. And I want to see Jesus. And I want to say, sorry, forgive me. And I want to see Jesus open his arms wide. I groan for that. And I know from the scriptures, it won't just be Jesus waiting for me. No, he's running. He's running to me. And he embraces me. And he holds me like I've been gone way too long. And he dances over me with love. And he, then I groan, show me around. And he said, let me show you mansions and mansions of rich glory. And let me not only do that, but for the work you've done on earth, let me just show you the work you will do in heaven. You will be employed in such a satisfactory position. You'll never get enough of it. And it'll be thrilling to you. Do not groan for that glorious inheritance, the fuller, more complete life that's ours in Christ. If you do, you have the Spirit of God within you. He's leading you away from sin to Christ. He's leading you into adoption. He's leading you with testimony of assurance. You're His. He's filling you with this groaning that will never die. You must have 
what he provides for us in heaven and glory. What a wonderful evidence that we are children of God. We don't just hope we go to heaven when we die. We have evidence. That's where I'm going. That's what I'm groaning for. That's what I've been led for. That's what I've been assured of. This is mine. Living without condemnation because we have the spirit of sons. Well, maybe you need to evaluate your life this morning. Maybe you need to evaluate what spirits are in your head, in your heart. If you've got the spirit of God, it's, it's obvious. If you don't have the spirit of God... You must be born again of the Spirit or you won't enter or see the kingdom of God. Your prayer is simple. Lord, I receive you. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me up. I'm struggling down here not knowing right from wrong. I need a spiritual leading. I'm struggling down here like a floundering, like don't feel like I belong. I need to be adopted. Fill me with your spirit. I need to see there's so much more than this life. Make me an heir of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's your prayer. I hope you make that. If you've not made that your prayer yet, that you're filled with God's spirit and given the assurance of life that you are in Christ. Some of you, you know, there's this thing called grieving the Spirit, quenching the Spirit through disobedience, sin. Some of you, at times, you, you're just not yielding your life fully to the Spirit. And that's your need this morning. Say, God, I've been holding up my hands. I've been pushing you back. And it's been clear through your Spirit's work this morning, I have a sin I need to deal with. I need to quit letting that be my pleasure. Christ needs to be my pleasure. And I need your spirit to lead me from sin and back to Jesus, back to loving him, back to joy in him, back to patience with him, back to kindness with his church, all of those things. If that's your need, I encourage you. Have that time of prayer. Lord, deal with me as you would with sons. Discipline me. and Lead me back to that fullness that is mine. In Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we make these prayers before you instead of just talking to them, talking about them. Lord, have mercy. We are sinners. We are in need of the Spirit on high, coming down to earth and filling us, removing sin. Enabling us to have the knowledge of the grace of God in Christ. That Christ is our substitute, paid for our sin. So we who have died to sin can live now in righteousness. We ask, O oh Spirit of God, that you would fill us. You would lead us away from sin to righteousness. That you would assure us through that we are children of God adopted into your family. Place within us a groaning that we can't get enough of Christ knowing there's so much more to come. 
We ask, Father, for those who've never prayed to receive you, they would do so today. For those of us who've done it and yet grieved you through sin and disobedience, Lord, bring us back as you do, sons, and let us experience that love again. Lord, thank you for the Spirit of God that dwells within us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.